0: All right, let's get into it. Hello, Interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Superhero cinema is the most popular genre of film in North America today, probably the world. But these movies existed long before Marvel changed the film industry in 2008. Might seem hard to imagine nowadays, but public perception towards superhero movies hasn't always been kind. In fact, there were periods where they were hardly made. But how did they slowly win us over today? we take a deep dive into the history of superhero cinema, from its humble roots in the 1950s up till the MCU's debut. Into our medium shot now, our brief history with the pre-MCU superhero movies. We'll cover our favorites a bit more as we go. Ryan, you want to start? Joe, I want you to picture yourself as a, as a young lad,
1: around five or six years old. Done. And, and your parents take you into the movie theater for the first time. Right, And you don't, you don't really know what's going on. You're just in this big, big, big stadium with a bunch of people. You don't really know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, you see a certain superhero on screen who looks a lot like Tobey Maguire, because it is him. And that is the Ramy movies. Oh, my God. Fine. <laughs> he got excited because then I brought up Tobey Maguire. Yes. Uh, that was my experience. I believe that was the first, besides like some like kids movies, that was like the first like, blockbuster movie I went and saw was the, I don't think it was the first Spider-Man movie because I think it would have been too young. When did that come out? 2002. We have notes. 2002. Okay, it might have been that. might have been that or Spider-Man 2. But I remember seeing that and I was like, oh wow, this is so cool. And I guess that's where the, the start of loving superheroes and loving um, movies came for me. And then also the, uh, the X-Men movies when they came out. I thought, even though they're kind of cheesy, I rewatched them, I think like a year ago. They're still cheesy, but there's still like a little hint of magic in them. Mostly from Hugh Jackman.
0: And we'll get into that later. Those are... So for me, the first superhero movies I ever saw were probably either Batman 1966 or Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and the X-Men movies too, like you said, forgot about those nearly. Those are the two I remember most as a kid though, Batman and Spider-Man, and I've been a fan of the genre ever since. I'd say more, but we got a lot to cover, so let's get into our close-up now. Did you
1: watch that video that was going around of Quarter Digital when they deep-faked Adam West into the Robert Pattinson Brilliant. Batman trailer? I, I love that video. That's
0: brilliant. It was so it well done. It was so good. Okay, so the very first live-action superhero feature movie was called Superman and the Mole Men, 1951, starring George Reeves. Now, this, there were live-action superhero adaptations before. In the 1940s, there were film serials, which, if you don't know what a film serial is, it's basically the TV before TV where you'd show up weekly to the movies, and there'd be continuing adventures. That's what would keep you coming back before the movies. So there were adaptations of Superman and Batman and Captain America and Shazam, I think, even done before. But 1951, this was the first feature film, which wasn't even that long. I think I saw it was 58 minutes, and I've never seen this one. but. It was the first, so it's worth a mention. So, George Reeves, like I said, was the star, and he starred in a TV series called The Adventures of Superman, which ran through most of the 50s. From what I've heard, it was pretty popular. I've yet to seen it. I want to see it. A lot, actually, because I'm a Superman fanboy. <laughs> but from the looks of this movie, it... It was already adapting some of the strange comic book ideas, like the Mole Men, which I don't know if they were in the comics before, but things were already getting weird. But probably a golden age of comics kind of weird, where it was still relatively grounded, because they did not have the budget for special effects back then. I don't think he even flies in this movie. And interestingly, this was not an origin story. Even back in 1951, you could make a Superman B-movie sci-fi movie, and people just knew who that was. You didn't need an introduction or anything for general audiences. And that's a show of faith most modern superhero movies are only now getting back into. So I think that's interesting. There wasn't even Origins back in 1951. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So then throughout the 50s, things got bad from yes there was a book which i need to do a little more research on it i guess but from my just from my memory now that i'm thinking about it there was this book called seduction of the innocent alongside other things which pretty much convinced the american public superhero movies were for de- superhero comics were for deviance. basically they taught kids violence and he specifically called out batman i think for implying it had homosexual undertones which, in the 50s, was, yep, yeah, that's, that's that's not great for kids to read, they think. So, basically, all this backlash led to the Comics Code Authority, which comics used to be able to do whatever they wanted, but the Comics mm-hmm. Code Authority was like a film rating system for comics. It didn't... Batman like... had a gun before the Comics Authority. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the good old days. But... Th- yeah, so the Comics Code Authority, it took out most of the violence in comics, turned them goofier, a little less grounded, a little less about real things, and the fifth, and this precipitated the Silver Age of comics, where things got a lot more goofy, a lot more crazy, because they had to make up for the violence and realism and horror with campy sci-fi and just craziness. So, because superheroes were a little less big in this time, their reputation hadn't, was a little bit ruined. Both because of this backlash to the violence and also because post-war, the golden age of comics, superheroes were a little less of a deal. Back at this time, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman were pretty much the only superheroes that were still in regularly ongoing comic books. Marvel Comics was not a thing at this time. But they did just come back. They had some characters in the early 40s, like Namor and Captain America and the Human Torch, but they only came back in the late 1950s. Stan Lee, I think, was pretty much one of the only employees working at Marvel Comics, and he kicked off the Marvel Age but we can talk about that another time. Basically, superheroes were pretty much dead, let alone in movies. But then, things started picking back up again, and in 1966, we got a little show called Batman. And I've heard before that this was not even the network's first choice. They thought, okay, well, you know, Superman is still more popular, so let's get a Superman show, and I don't think they could get the rights for that. And then I think I heard that dick tracy was their second choice i think that's what it was <laughs> and they couldn't get that either and then oh well, i guess we'll do batman you have to say it like this joe you gotta go batman pow flap
1: you gotta add go those in there.
0: Mm. there you go splat mm.
1: please add in those graphics later or i'll look like a fool pow. okay
0: so the other thing I think is interesting about this bat the thing I think is interesting about this Batman is like I mentioned with the Superman this is also not an origin story. No. This Batman 1966 movie is just it drops you right in not just with Batman but Robin too. They're just already existing as crime fighters who have a a solid reputation in Gotham. They work with the police in broad daylight. This Batman is often referred to as the bright knight. He's <laughs> not He's a lot more campy. Camp is the word that everyone throws around about this. We're not talking about the show, but we're talking about the movie. I freaking love this movie. Like I said, this was one of the first superhero movies I ever saw. Can you imagine a Batman movie nowadays where he t- not only is teaming up with Robin, but he fights Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, and Penguin? He fights all four of them with equal screen time and Robin in one That's movie. Ridiculous. And a shark. And a shark! Robin, pass me <laughs> the shark-repellent bat spray! <laughs> that's brilliant. It's, it's Some amazing. days you just can't get rid of a bomb. The memes in that movie are uh, keeping it alive. Robin, they might be drinkers, but they're people too. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line.
1: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. There's something about older movies where they just, they have, like, comedic timing that could be used today, and they have comedic jokes like that, where it's just, like, it still, like, relates, like, the drinker line or whatever.
0: Yeah. See, the thing about this Batman movie, and it, what it did, that a lot of movies, the reason it was a big deal at the time was because, well, like I said, Superman the movie was a B movie. It was a B sci-fi movie adapting, oh, you know, Superman is, is a thing. Okay. But this Batman movie pretty much kicked off Batmania in the mid-60s where superheroes were they were legitimately a part of the culture now thanks to Batman. People were talking about it on the regular. Everyone knew of Batman and Robin. It was actually a thing not just for nerds and a lot of nerds hated this Batman adaptation because they didn't think it represented the Batman in their comic books but you can't deny what it did for the cultural appeal of Batman. It brought Batman mm-hmm. into the mainstream. Which is its biggest claim to fame nowadays, I think. But I think it's just a really fun movie as well. Which, the brilliance of it, like Ryan was saying, is in the comedy. This series was made so that when you're, when you're a child you take it deadly serious. You know, Batman fighting these goofy villains and over the top acting—it's—it's it's crazy stuff. But when you're fun a kid, fact, you take. it...
1: Fun fact: the penguin is the uh, is Mickey in Rocky.
0: Rocky, yeah, Burgess Meredith. Yeah, yeah. So, He's dead now. yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately. Well, like I said, when you're, a kid, when you're a kid, you take this deadly seriously. <laughs> but as an adult, it's just a fun comedy movie. Exactly, it's one of, it's one of the all-time greatest superhero comedies. So I would mm-hmm. recommend that movie.
1: I think people would give too much uh hate on it just because of they want Batman to be serious, but this is before any of that stuff happened, and this is during like the code of the Comics Code Authority and whatnot. So they had to do what they work with and what they have is actually a pretty decent
0: movie. People like to think Batman yeah, people like to bring up like you were saying, Batman was serious at the start. He had a gun. He was a gritty street detective who Solved yeah. prime. It's like, yeah, that maybe be for the first eight issues or whatever, but he lightened up real fast. I read a lot of golden age comics mm-hmm. and Batman in the forties was goofy. Sorry to you, Batman purists who think he was always dark, but forties and fifties Batman was really goofy stuff. But Joe Frank Miller. Yeah. To like the eighties, man. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Batman didn't become dark again until the eighties, which we'll get to, but Oh, it was geez. But yeah, I'm just glad Batman people need to stop taking Batman so seriously. Just mm-hmm. I say that as a big Batman fan just stop. He's a dude who dresses up in tights and has a teenage sidekick. Like it's it's not that serious stuff. But, you know, not to discount it because I'm a big fan as well, but just he doesn't always have to be serious. Something in the way Okay, so superhero movie scene was pretty much dead for the rest of the sixties. Although there were T V series, which while well, we're not talking about TV. Yeah, we don't count. We don't do TV.
1: Those don't count in the
0: sixties? They, they did some T V movies for Wonder Woman and Captain America and Wonder Woman. They also did yeah, the Wonder Woman TV series as well. And I think my mom said there was a Shazam show in the seventies that she grew up watching. Oh <laughs> there really? Was, there was stuff around yeah, it was there yeah superhero stuff wasn't dead but in movies they were pretty much dead mm-hmm. until, until 1978 superman the movie and this and this movie was revolutionary for the superhero genre for multiple reasons and i think the biggest thing is that the creators took this junk seriously Now, I know I just said, you know, guys in tights don't take it seriously, but the creators of Superman the movie took Superman not just as a goofy, moralizing, square-jawed hero of 1950s (laughs) and Americana, but they took him as just a well-meaning guy who wanted to help. And they they didn't do it tongue-in-cheek. They did it They were trying to make a genuine adaptation of this character. Like, what would happen Mm -hmm. if an alien from the stars came to Earth and with massive powers was raised by kindly farmers from Kansas and decided to use those powers for good? It was actually trying to tell a story as a sci-fi movie, not just being an adaptation of a Superman comic, which I think is important. It wasn't about... Sorry, you go.
1: No, it just it, it just does very well. I haven't watched this movie for a long time. But what I can remember from it is even for the time like the effects still kind of hold up where he catches Lewis for the first time. I think he catches a helicopter at the same time like for 78. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant effects for the time. One of and my favorite lines her... in
0: the movie. You got me, who's got you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: And Christopher Reeves just does such a great job playing the duality of Superman and Clark Kent. Like, he, on purpose, hunches his shoulders and, like, has a terrible posture as Clark Kent, so people won't recognize him as Superman. I think it's in, is it this one or Superman 2, where it's, like, a deleted scene or it's in the director's cut where, like, Lewis straight up shoots him.
0: That's the second one, director's cut. It's the second one. The Richard Donner cut.
1: And then he, like, as soon as he gets shot, he just goes... Okay, you got me.
0: (laughs) Christopher Reeve is all-time great casting. Yeah, he's so good. I'll talk about him more in a sec, but going back to the special effects, I would like to point out that, once again, speaking of the revolutionary aspects of this movie to the superhero genre, flight effects in Hollywood before were pretty well junk. Even going back to the original Superman serials in the 1940s, what they used to do in those serials was... As soon as Kirk Allen would take off, they would turn him into a cartoon Superman for the flight effects, which actually Mm -hmm. works better than you might think, but they couldn't convincingly have him fly, so they did these little workaround tricks, or they'd have him take off on wires or whatnot, but there wasn't actually convincing flight effects in the sky, but Superman the movie, on the poster, I believe, or in its marketing, the tagline was, you'll believe a man can fly. That was like its gimmick marketing thing. They pioneered special effects to the point where flight effects became convincing. And, you know, obviously without that we wouldn't have superhero movies nowadays. Flight is such an integral part of the superhero mythology. So this movie pretty much laid the groundwork for special effects of superhero movies for the next 40 years. And then there was Christopher Reeve, who like we were saying before, such a brilliant choice for superman because he back in the 70s there was a lot of it was a lot of a grittier time in the 80s you had more like muscle-bound heroes like schwarzenegger and stallone and whatnot but christopher reeve Mm -hmm. was just he was a nice guy who didn't seem like he'd be that imposing and like you just you don't really get heroes like that now or back then he was he wasn't this gritty action hero kind of guy. And it just, it sold his earnestness. And like I said, he didn't play him tongue in cheek. He could have played him winking like, oh, I'm I'm a moralizing figure. Eat your vegetables. And kind of like Adam West did. Yeah. It took it. But no, Christopher Reeve just plays him as a good guy trying to do the right thing. I seen an examination of this scene before, which was really good. But the scene when he's, talking about his morality with Lois, and she asks him what he's all about, and he says, Well, Lois, I stand for truth and justice in the American way. And she says, with her cynicism, Oh, you'll be fighting every elected official in this country, then. And he looks at her (laughs) dead in the eye and says, Lois, I never lie. And he's just 100% genuine about it.
1: Yeah, That's that little uh, self-awareness that old Hollywood has. about Even, like, you can even make... Arguments for it today.
0: Yeah. Although I think nowadays it's a lot more cynical and yeah, trying to put in Easter eggs and junk. and mm-hmm. I mean, not that well, this there ain't a
1: po- This ain't a political show. It's a film show, mostly about superhero stuff, because that's what's popular right now. But we get into other film stuff probably later on, but we yeah. do have to move on, even though we love Christopher Reeves, and even though the next movie... Yeah. Is Superman too. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, sorry. sorry. Okay. One more thing I will say about it, speaking about Easter eggs and whatnot. They were having having Easter eggs for Superman back in nineteen seventy eight. I'm pretty mm. sure they got some old actors from the old film serials to play certain characters in it. And there's even little bits like when he comes into the Superman costume for his public debut where like he catches the helicopter. He runs up to a phone booth, but nineteen seventies phone booths aren't like the ones in the fifties that you could just walk in, so he kinda right. has to Uh, whoops, I can't do that. So, like, it was already having these little easter eggs about the Superman mythology, even back in 1978.
1: That's funny. Yeah. And I believe Superman 1 and 2 were shot back-to-back, no?
0: Yeah, they were shot back-to-back, but that was... So, originally, Richard Donner was shooting Superman 1 and 2 back-to-back, but he got fired halfway through production of Superman 2. So they needed to bring in, I believe it was Richard Lester, to finish up Superman 2. Which that's why there's Richard Donner's director's cut and Which I hear is better. It is better, except they couldn't film the ending, so the sa- it's the same ending as Superman mm. one when he turns back time, which is unfortunate, but the rest of the movie is better. Turn back time again? Yeah, because they didn't have another ending to film. That was originally oh God. Su- That was originally supposed to be the ending of the second movie. But then Richard, Donner, oh. well, then Richard Donner got fired, so they put it as the ending to the first movie and made a new ending for the theatrical cut of the second movie. But then when they made the Richard Donner cut, well, that was what he would have done. It was all Richard Donner stuff. So right. they had nothing else to do in the Donner cut. So that, that's its one drawback is the ending, I think. But the rest was better. Wow. And well, Superman 2, once again. It started the trend of superhero movie sequels, I think, where things went bigger and bolder. The first one, he just fought Lex Luthor, trying to do a, a plot to... I think his plot in the first one was he was going to send a missile to the fault line in California and send California into the ocean, and then all his beachfront property he bought in the... All his desert property he bought in mid-California would be beachfront property. That was the plot of the first Superman. Which, <laughs> relatively grounded. Actually not a bad plan for a not a bad plan, but also
1: like what are you doing? You think it's just gonna stop midway through California?
0: Well, I think his my, greatest criminal mind of his generation or whatnot, you know. It's like I said, it's a goofy plan, but there's worse. I'd rather take that plan oh, over Lex. over every movie having to be Trying to top Infinity War, wiping out half the universe. I don't, (laughs) I don't, I like low stakes like that. Why don't superhero movies get more low stakes stuff like that? Just send California into the ocean. You know, that can be the biggest stakes in the movie. But Superman 2, they bring in General Zod and Non Ursa, other Kryptonians. Now, instead of, now the special effects budget has to be increased. Superman has to fight physical foes now. There's like, showcases of super strength and I think this was probably the first hero superhero versus supervillain battle really. I mean, yeah, Lex Luthor's a supervillain, but I mean like Howard, I don't think that had ever yeah. been done before. Come to think of it. So Superman 2 was a trailblazer in that regard. And while well, we got to move on, got to keep spinning through fast. And now There's a, we... lot There's a lot of movies, a lot of movies. Now we get into what I call the shit era of superhero movies. Oh, God. Which sucks, because the 80s are awesome. But these (sighs) movies weren't. The 80s were trash for superhero content. Oh, God. Okay, so the first one I have on my list here is 1982 Swamp Thing, directed by Wes Craven. Which was... I've never seen this one. I haven't seen it either. But it was apparently a low-budget B-movie horror flick, which I think is interesting because up to this point, the only superhero adaptations were things like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Captain America on the TV movies, Shazam once again in like serials in the TV movies. But Swamp Thing, this movie came out in 1982, but that character was only created in 1971. So this was one of the first bigger comic book movies that was actually based on a relatively modern character. And with that comes more modern sensibilities. 1970s were the Bronze Age of comics, a bit more of an edgy time in the history of the medium. And Swamp Thing was an edgier character who who actually advocated for more real things. There were some serious themes of environmentalism in those books. I think he actually represents, uh, I think it's the green... Which is just, uh, he's connected to all plant life, I think. Something like that, Swamp Thing. I don't know how much they adapted about that, or how much was even in that Mm -hmm. canon.
1: And to be fair, if you're gonna get, make it a horror movie in the 80s, you do get Wes Craven to do it. Um, But I guess, maybe it just wasn't as popular at the time, and maybe it was just... And like, not to say that the 80s and... I haven't seen... By the way, I still haven't seen this. And the whole environmental movement, there was, like, there's a huge push for it, especially in, like, bigger cities in the 70s, but even in the 80s, as a culture, it's still kind of, like, people don't really care. People would be like, yeah, yeah, save the planet, yeah. We're not really in trouble. But, like, everyone knows now we're screwed, so.
0: Yeah, so that political aspect of it was probably relevant in the 80s as it would be today.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm not
0: sure, once again, I'm not sure how much they played that up in the movie because I haven't seen it. But once again, this is a movie which could have some serious dramatic potential, but even in a post-Superman era where they're taking this stuff more seriously, you get a cheesy, low-budget B-movie from The Sounds of Things, which is still with a horrific slant, but we're kind of slipping back already in the early 80s to the Adam West days where it's a little more, man, people don't take this stuff seriously. So, and that gets even worse in 1983 with Superman 3. Oh, God. This once... Great franchise, the epitome of superhero content, and, you know, actually just really good film content. Mario Puzo wrote the first one, maybe the second one. He wrote The Frickin' Godfather, scored by John Williams, was the first one. It's like, this was a legit... Richard Donner did, I think, The Omen, and I don't remember. I think he did a few other ones, which I'm forgetting right now, but these were legit... Oh yeah, that's another thing I need to mention, going back to Superman. These were legit people in the film industry like this wasn't just a a b movie made with b talent these were some of hollywood's best talent were making this movie at the time which is why superman 3 is so disappointing (laughs) he fight himself
1: in like a like a garbage field or whatever like a you sound like a junkyard you sound disappointed but
0: that's the best scene in the movie
1: (laughs) <laughs> I'm not disappointed, it's, but it's just like I remember, like evil Superman and seeing that. But yes,
0: yeah. that that is the best scene in the movie. So basically, the plot of Superman three is we get introduced into more silver AG elements. I'd say I feel like the first Superman movies were more golden AG in their execution, pretty grounded, relatively. While well, Superman one was Superman two was a little more crazy, but Superman three we're getting into like red kryptonite, which basically just turns Superman into a jerk. There's a scene where Christopher Reeve is just sitting at the bar, scowling and flicking beer nuts into uh, <laughs> in the bottles. Oh God! I think he actually tips up, he uprights the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> 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 that's <laughs> so great. Just, it's just
1: that's funny.
0: He doesn't do anything evil. He just does these just these dickish things as yeah. inconvenience.
1: And apparently, there's a very controversial comic in the 90s. I think. Where there's pink kryptonite and it oh, made yeah. Superman more attractive to Jimmy Olsen than Lewis
0: Lane. Yes, pink kryptonite turn turns people gay. I think is the in the nineties. That was the nineties. I thought that was like a Silver Age. That thing. was in the nineties. Oh man,
1: that's terrible. Pink
0: kryptonite was the nineties.
1: I'm pretty sure. Yeah,
0: I can't believe that.
1: That's so bad. If anyway. you don't
0: know, there's all different kinds is of this, kryptonite. Which
1: one did Christopher Reeves write or help write? Was that, was the fourth, or... that was the fourth one. Okay, we'll get we'll that.
0: Get it. We'll get there. It. So after Superman 3 was, super, was Supergirl, 1984, which I didn't realize until I was doing research, but apparently this is set in the same continuity as the Christopher Reeve movies. Really? Apparently. Except the thing about that is Christopher Reeve didn't want to be in it. So it lost... Aw, man. It lost legitimacy immediately for general audiences from that. What's I the think. point? I know. They didn't get any of the original creative team back, I think. I think it was the same producers, but they didn't get any of the directors back. They didn't get Christopher Reeve back, but apparently it's still in the same continuity. It was made by the same producers, Mm -hmm. I think. But yeah, this movie rode off the coattails of the Christopher Reeve movies, but because he wasn't involved, it was a massive problem right away, and this movie was a failure, which honestly... I think it probably hurt the chances for more female-led superhero projects for the better part of two decades, but that's just conjecture on my part. Not that her femininity was the problem, but executives might have thought that was the problem. But I guess Supergirl, really, is the first live-action superhero movie with a female lead. So it does... Yes. It does have some historical value points there.
1: Yeah, and obviously in the 80s, Probably producers didn't take female-led superhero movies with, as seriously as they should have. Or even any female-led movies. Because you can see now with superhero-led films like Wonder Woman.
0: Captain Marvel.
1: Captain Marvel. Black, Black Panther
0: 2, I guess. I okay, think yeah, Black like, Panther too. I think Shuri's going to be the main one in that, right?
1: Probably. But you can see, like, if you take if you have the dedication towards it, they can be excellent films. Like the first Wonder Woman. I think it's a great film. Haven't seen the second one. I've heard it's terrible.
0: It was not. It disappointed me. (laughs) I heard it was disappointing. I'm a defender of many things DC, Mm -hmm. but that one was very disappointing.
1: Poor Wonder Woman. She's still on, though, to play Wonder Woman in the future, though, right? Gal Gadot?
0: Yeah, I heard her. She was talking about Wonder Woman 3 stuff just lately. Okay, that's good. Because I like her as Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay, so we can move on. It's a Supergirl. Unfortunate. But you know what? They brought back. Helen Slater, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. she played Supergirl's mother in the TV show. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so she's and Dean Cain played a great... her father. So that's that's fun.
1: Yeah, she's a great character in the Injustice Universe, Supergirl, where um, yeah, where she where like Superman becomes evil, and whatnot, and then Supergirl is the pole opposite of him. Where it's like, no, this is what this is what this this symbol on your chest is supposed to mean, and
0: the second one was more her story, I think, right?
1: Yeah, it was, it, it... Was definitely more, it was definitely more her story and her being introduced into the Injustice world. I think it starts with... Oh, I know with... a lot of people...
0: Doesn't it start with her? It starts yeah. with
1: her on Krypton, yeah. Which, by the way, she gets the short end of the stick. She's older, and she gets sent off to, like, the same planet, but she gets bumped first, so she's, like, stuck around in space for, like,
0: however many years. Long enough or for shame. Superman... I think she and Superman Longest got just, sent yeah. off. Like she was a teenager when Superman got sent off as a baby, so they mm-hmm. were both. So they were both sent off at the same time, but because of, I guess, well, I guess it would be the law of rel- the theory of relativity, mm-hmm. where you know if you're going super fast, you age at sl- the speed of light, you age slower. So Superman raised on earth and by the time he was a fully grown man she was still a teenager by the time she got to earth
1: oh i thought she was just stuck in space
0: no she i think she was she was stuck in space but i'm i'm bringing actual science to this science Uh, fiction i think because she was traveling in space she was probably traveling traveling really fast which means she ages slower than people when the gravitational bounds of earth so while superman was aging in real time she was not aging. And by the time she got to Earth, she was still a teenager. He was an adult and had to become her mentor. Not in the movie, though. So, our first big Marvel movie of the list. Howard the Duck, 1986. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> the only good thing I could say about this movie is the animatronic of Howard the Duck. Or whoever's in... If it's even a suit or it's a puppet. I don't know what it is. I don't know what this movie is. But Have it's you seen the it? most. I have seen it, sadly. Okay, tell me more about this,
0: because I have not seen this one.
1: Oh my god. So, like, in the first two minutes, it does a gag where, like, he's being sucked from the duck world to Earth for some reason. And there's, like, a shot of, like, a girl, uh, of a female duck version, she's topless. Like, you see duck breasts, her in the the tub, and you're like, I don't need to see that. And just think about, hey, you know, in Back to the Future, how the mom, and when she's young, is super cute? Imagine yep. now the duck is trying to bang her. That's basically the whole movie. Where's and, the yes, same there's a the whole right? thing about, like, same actress. Yeah. yeah and there's a the whole thing to... about, like, there's, like, a, a bad goo a- alien at the end or something. I don't know. I checked out, like, halfway through. But it's a movie about a duck trying to bang the mom from Back to the Future. This isn't for kids. And there is, like, a cult following to it, just because of how raunchy it is for, like, a comic book movie. But it's not good. It's not a good movie. Okay. What a waste of time this was.
0: So I was reading, apparently, this project began when George Lucas, of all people, was a fan of Howard the Duck Comics. And he talked to some film school friends of his, Williard, I don't know how to pronounce this name, Hoik, Hoik, and Gloria Katz. About this Howard the Duck comic book. And apparently George Lucas and ILM did the special effects for this movie. I guess they were the ones who did the animatronics. So that's a fun fact there. Famously bad movie. Howard the Duck, uh, as far as I can tell, did not return to the big screen until the post credit scene of Guardians of the Galaxy all the way in 2014. So mm-hmm. I'm shocked. You know he's in even... Endgame too? He was in Endgame? Yeah,
1: there's like there's a shot where they're all coming out of the portal, and you see him for like a second
0: coming out of the portal. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> he was in the
1: He's like he's a little bit in the
0: background. That's funny. Okay, so 1987, Superman Four, The Quest for Peace. Oh god. Nuclear man. Um I look, there's there's a subgenre of well, not subgenre, but there's certain movies that are so bad they're good. Superman Four I don't think that's one of them. No. It's not even, it's not even bad enough to be good. It's, they The original producers, I think, either lost the rights, or I think this was produced by Canon Films, I believe it was. Tiny budgets, heavy-handed plot about nuclear disarmament in the late 80s, before the end of the Cold War, and essentially killed the oh. super... Hmm? Topical. Topical. And killed the Superman franchise till 2006. But at least it had Christopher Reeve. So mm. that's its one saving grace is that it was one more Christopher Reeve movie. And as a big fan of, he's my favorite Superman, one of my favorite. He's a role model of mine. And just the fact that he was in it at all is its only saving grace. Is, you get to see him as Superman one more time. But yeah. the rest of it was, oh.
1: God. This really is a shit era. It's rough. It's rough. And then the next one is great because it's return of
0: the Swamp Thing, which is like... 1989. And like I said, even the first Swamp Thing was considered to be a little campy, but it was Wes Craven, so it was more horror-based. This one apparently kind of just threw that all out the window Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: was just really goofy. Some people actually like that it's funny. People are entertained by the comedy of it. But that also is not what I consider a proper adaptation of Swamp Thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm being like elitist about it, like people are with Batman and Adam West. I don't know. You can probably have Goofy Swamp Thing. It might be okay. I don't know. But it, just, it doesn't seem like Swamp Thing to me. Probably not to other people either. But there's a lot of people who like this movie's goofiness. I haven't seen it. I don't know. So, basically the 80s are... So basically the 50s, 60s, 70s up to this point was a st- the 50s and 60s were like, they're just playing up. They're just playing up the, the, the weirdness of this stuff. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's light entertainment for kids and maybe funny to adults if they're presented right. The 70s started taking this junk seriously, actually adapting it like earnestly and not just as a joke. And then the 80s started turning it into a joke again. And not even good jokes like Batman 1966. They're just bad. Yeah. But then something happens in the 90s where things start getting dark and gritty again. And I guess this was just kind of a trend across the board. I kind of associate the 90s with antiheroes, like I was telling you before we started, like Venom and the Punisher and... Deadpool, and that's what I think of when I think of superheroes in the 90s. Yeah, just that's sick. It just kind of a, a backlash to the, the moralizing good guys of the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. like Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. These were killers, antiheroes. The rise of the antihero was For sure. sort of what it was. And I guess that kicked off in 1989 with The Punisher, Starring Dolph Lundgren. Good lord. (laughs) I haven't seen it. I don't know. But this was... Seems to be the first more serious superhero movie since 1982. Seven years of... And even Swamp Thing wasn't that serious. So, like... The first semi-serious film since 1982. And apparently it changed a lot about the source material. He didn't even wear his famous costume with the skull.
1: I'm looking at images, he just looks... Oh, he's got... he's got the skull on one of his jacket, but it's, like, really tiny. Okay. It's, like, right over his, like, heart.
0: Okay, so we got a lot more to cover. We're gonna he start speeding.
1: He looks like he's, like, a city slicker.
0: <laughs> yeah, got less time for the movies we haven't seen, so we're gonna push on to yeah the next big game changer in the superhero genre, since the biggest movie to change up things since Superman 2 in 1980... We have Batman, 1989, directed by Tim Burton, starring Michael Keaton, and this was a huge deal at the time, for multiple reasons. For one thing, people still associated Batman in their minds with the camp of the 1960s Adam West. No, no, no. This was adapting the more serious version popularized by Frank Miller in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. This was a gritty Batman who existed in the shadows. He was a he was a weirdo loner. Slightly psychotic, maybe. <laughs> and, and he kills in this one, too. And he's a murderer. <laughs> ah. See, yeah, that's, that's a problem with these. You know, it's not totally faithful. And the Joker's the guy... Sorry, okay, spoiler alert, but yeah, the Joker's the one who killed his parents.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a weird okay, choice. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah,
0: It's not a perfect adaptation, but and Jack Nicholson's Joker, once again, I think Jack Nicholson's Joker. Okay, yeah, you know Gene, uh, Gene Hackman. Is that his name? Of, uh, yeah, I think it's Gene. From, from the '60s. No, from from Superman, Lex Luthor. I think it's Gene Hackman. Yes, yeah. Gene I Hackman so. and Terrence Stamp as General Zod. Those were two of the first great villain performances. But Jack Nicholson's Joker was incredible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Made he was an actually terrifying superhero baddie and a worthy opponent to michael keaton's unhinged batman and i think this is one of the first cases of oh yeah i have to skip back between this and batman superman and batman 1989 two of the big things about that movies those movies they actually influenced their comic book worlds because oh, for sure because superman the movie had that kind of crystalline thing about krypton and the floating heads and the fortress of solitude being kind of crystally and icy the fortress mm-hmm. of solitude was like a mountain base before then it it looked nothing like that and this gothic gotham mm-hmm. with the gargoyles and kind of this weird mishmash of technologies it looks like a 1940s city with police blimps and old cars but they also have modern technology but not internet technology like this right. weird mishmash of eras was distinctly Tim Burton's Gotham which bled over into the Batman comics these movies changed their source material
1: yeah i'm pretty sure there's like even a like a comic line i think it's called All-Star Superman maybe that is based in the Christopher Reeve's universe
0: all-Star Superman is a different or maybe thing. Oh,
1: it's something else.
0: All-Star Superman was mid-2000s story. Oh, right. By Grant Morrison, I think. But the Superman 78 is a current series set in... I don't read. Yeah. is a current series set in the Superman era. There's also a Batman 89 series, a Batman 66 series, a Wonder Woman 76 series, continuing the universes of those old iconic iterations. Mm-hmm. So, Batman. Big deal. Made hey John,
1: you ever dance with? You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight?
0: Wanna get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> Alright, then we have Captain America, 1990. Yeah. Which <laughs> is mostly famous for being terrible. Yeah.
1: He's got there the was... wings
0: on his head. Yeah. Uh, what I've heard from this movie is the rights changed hands a lot, and they just... Yeah, they just made a Captain America movie. Yeah. I think the only scene I've seen is Captain America with a machine gun mowing down bad guys, which is pretty cool. Okay. That doesn't feel like Cap, but. All right. So then the 90s had a lot of. Once again, it got dark. It got any hero. But there was also this strange turn back to pulp comic book heroes and radio serials of the 1940s, like the Phantom, the Shadow, which. I guess they were superheroes, but we're not going to talk about those as much because they were more radio play inspired. Dick Tracy as well. More radio play and newspaper magazine inspired than comic books, which I guess don't want to discriminate, but I haven't seen any of those movies anyway. So just know they happened. There was this weird 1930s, 40s resurgence. Of superhero characters, nobody really remembered or remembers.
1: Mm-hmm. I know them,
0: but okay. So then there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, which we can talk Woo! about briefly, maybe. But I, I haven't seen them in many, many years. Yeah, I haven't seen them as as I was a kid. Those live action movies had less of an impact on me than the cartoons did, but yeah, I remember them. And they so were pretty cool. They, they were, were very okay. dark, from what I remember. The original comic books for TMNT were Oh, no, for sure. Dark, so. But, like,
1: just in comparison from, like, the cartoons and stuff.
0: Yeah. Right now, all I'm remembering from these movies is the Vanilla Ice song in the second one.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> I, I remember the one time where, like, Splinter gets the shit kicked out of him and almost dies. Which happens in a lot of adaptations, but, like, in this one, it's, like, you see, like, a lot of blood and stuff.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. All right, gotta... But
1: what the important question is, which Ninja Turtle are you, John?
0: Donatello. Oh, okay. That's all right. I, look, I defend Donatello because he's everyone's least favorite turtle. He's all right. Exactly. See, he's the only one with a stick. Everyone no else has like a weapon. This is what I am talking about <laughs> Donatello gets no
1: respect. <laughs> uh, I'm a Raphael guy
0: myself. Everyone's a Raph guy. He's, a, he's the edgy one, he's the cool one. He has the size that she never gets to use because PG, PG 13. <laughs> yeah, what's your point? <laughs> The staff is a noble weapon
1: I'm not one of those guys Like he should be the leader Because he shouldn't be
0: He's too hot hot Yeah, Mikey doesn't take anything seriously Donatello is more People have told
1: me that I'm a Mikey Because of my love of pizza But I also take offense to that Because Mikey's kind of an idiot
0: (laughs) Yeah I'm the Donatello I'm like the nerdy guy Who wouldn't want to lead I'd rather tinker away with machines than You made the van Exactly Alright, so, then we have Batman Returns, 1982. The movie... See, okay, this is the problem with superhero movies getting too popular, because this, this, the story of Batman Returns is about marketability. This is the movie that was too dark to sell McDonald's toys to children. It's like, what, what do you mean? Like, the McDonald, Like, children... Children get McDonald's toys for this movie where Danny DeVito bites a guy's nose off, and... It got way too dark. For, I love that toy. For parents. And it just... Parents are like, well, I thought these were supposed to be for kids. This is when superhero movies turn the line between getting... They got a little too dark for mm. mainstream. It was pushing an R and parents did not like it. And it kind of inspired a little more light-hearted superhero fare for the rest of the 90s because
1: yeah yeah
0: so then we have fantastic four 1994 apparently this movie was made just so they only made it so that they could keep the rights to the fantastic four that is right they never I actually really forgot to about this Yeah, They never intended to release this movie, and apparently Marvel got a hold of the negatives and allegedly destroyed them, denied that the movie even existed for the longest time, and it was never officially released, even though apparently you can still find copies if you're looking hard enough. Famously terrible, but they also weren't trying. They were just making a movie literally just to keep the rights. That's so funny. That is so funny. Which okay, that is kind of the history of the Fantastic Four. Don't pretend like 2015's Fantastic Four or whatever. Like they were just yeah. making they weren't making movies to make good movies. They were making the movies just so Marvel didn't get the rights back. That's been the history of the Fantastic Four up till recently, and they got the rights back eventually. So because mm-hmm, they bought out the whole company. <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety five. Judge Dredd. Never seen it. Never seen it. Heard it's great. The new one's oh, great. Agreed. The the new one's great. The old one, I don't
1: know. It's Stallone, Camping It Up. Great. Hilarious. I love it. Cool. It's June.
0: Batman Forever, The Backlash to Batman Returns. Also I love as this as...
1: movie. I don't care what anybody says. Underrated.
0: Definitely underrated. One of the weaker Batman movies, but underrated. Yes. For sure.
1: Nicole Kidman's in it. That's She's all good? you need to know. It's great. She's got this weird hard on for Batman, though.
0: Whenever she shows up, Batman's got a hard on too, with the bat nipples on the suit. Mm. You know they weren't. Val his- Kilmer does a pretty decent job too. Yep. yeah. So
1: this is where Batman Forever is. Where this was the like the reaction to Batman Returns, where people said that Batman Returns was too dark. So I guess they were like, "Hey, you need to camp this up a little bit more." And how do you camp him up? You bring in Jim Carrey. And sure. you make him the Riddler, and I think he does an amazing job, and it is very silly, but, you know, I guess people wanted to see, there are fans who wanted to see a serious, not maybe not a serious version of the Riddler, but a serious, like, sequel to Batman Returns, and you didn't really get that.
0: Well, because Tim Burton and, I think Michael Keaton dipped out when Tim Burton got fired, mm-hmm. was what happened. I don't remember exactly, but I think he read, he read the script for it, and he was like, "Nah, I'm not doing this without Burton," because he he didn't like the light tone. He saw it was going in yeah. a bad he saw it was going in a bad direction, and he didn't want any part of it. I guess the, also... the only character who was in all four of those Batman movies was uh, Alfred. I Alfred. Mm-hmm. He was the only one who mat- who lasted through that whole franchise, and the only one who mattered. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, skipping ahead to well, in the similar vein, Batman and Robin, okay. nineteen eighty-seven, cool Do talk? movie.
1: Do we have to talk about this <clears throat> movie? Like my ice puns. Do we really have to talk about it? It's a better pun than any in the in anything in the movie. The only thing they did well is the frozen Bane? wife. No. Oh god, Bane is like. I know. Not to diss on people who are short, but he's like shorter than everybody, and he's supposed to be like this hulking like.
0: Massive bean. And he's built in the movie, but he's like 5'2. Okay, there's nothing we can say that hasn't already said about Batman and Robin. It was bad enough to kill the franchise till 2005 for about eight years. I mean, not as bad as Superman Get 4. Killed ice. Not as bad as Superman 4 killed Superman, but fun fact I've heard that Joel Schumacher picked George Clooney because he saw his face in a magazine, put his hand over his face, and was like, that's Batman's jawline. To I want to hire fair, that guy.
1: In a better movie, he could have probably done a better job.
0: Problem with that movie is they were trying to get back to Adam West. They were trying to get back to that campiness, but the writing was terrible. So, He's a perfect pick for Bruce Wayne, George Clooney. Now, what I will say about Batman Forever and Batman Return and Batman and Robin is that they both... I do enjoy Joel Schumacher's kind of neon aesthetic of Gotham. Mm -hmm. it's not as cool as tim burton's gothic gotham but the neon drenched streets and yeah the visuals are really cool in those movies they've been ingrained in my mind since childhood yeah for sure but but he has a batman credit card so we can't talk about this anymore we gotta move on (laughs) or alicia silverstone's batgirl okay 1997 was also Spawn. oh there's something fucked about they're sorry i got to comment on it they fucked alicia
1: stone so bad because yep. they were she was told she went to like do like a costume dress up or whatever and apparently the the suit was too small on her so they're like oh you have to lose weight for the suit motherfuckers oh. make the suit bigger you
0: bastards oh was how too, dare it you it was too expensive it's cheaper for you to lose weight maybe i don't know and it's Alicia Silverstone. It's a suit. So. Leave her alone. She's an what, icon. Isn't that what tailors are for? Exactly. Adjust the suit to the person. Wait, so what So did you say? They made her get smaller? They told her to get smaller. I don't know if she actually did. Which for a superhero movie is kind of dumb. Because I remember when Gal Gadot was cast as, as Wonder Woman. Everyone's like, she's too skinny. She's too small. She's too skinny. She doesn't have a boob. It's like, okay, superheroes should be bigger. So, yeah, a... I don't know what they were thinking there.
1: I don't know. Some fans, man. And then we get into the weirdest movie
0: Spawn. Spawn, which is, well, first off, I'll say, is I've never seen it, but it is notable for being the first African American superhero led film. Mm-hmm.
1: It is very is cool. strange. I will say, I have seen this movie, it had potential. Except for the effects. <laughs> if you go... When, you, when he goes down to hell and he meets the devil... And this is around the time where... CGI and, like, computer graphics were just sort of taking off. And this is around the time where directors were like... Yeah, let's just make everything CG because it's just so much easier and cheaper. But it looks terrible. The 90s. That was the 90s, baby. And this is the perfect... movie for that and martin sheen's in this and he plays the villain and he actually wanted to be in this movie because he told his agent he was like
0: hey i want to be
1: in a comic book movie
0: the spawn comics were huge in the 90s Mm -hmm. it was definitely one of the biggest properties out there so like i do understand why they made a spawn movie
1: yeah spawn as a character is is great and i heard i thought for the longest time they were going to do like a reboot but I'm not entirely too sure. But yeah, it's like, it's like the same with any 90s movie. It's like there's some dark moments, but then there's like a comedic clown character. So it's like,
0: it's whatever. I haven't seen it. Once again, it's not something I grew up with, but it's also to me a symptom of those superhero things that I don't like. Just the the 90s edginess, anti Just I Spawn as a character never really appealed to me for that reason. So I never had a mm. reason to go seek it out. I'm sure there's Spawn Media that I would like. I've heard there's a cartoon series that's really good from around the 90s, I think.
1: Yes, I've heard good things about that as well.
0: Okay, so then 1997, the same year, Steel, starring Dr. Shaquille O'Neal. I didn't <laughs> know he was a doctor until uh, Ryan told me a little earlier. Today. Yeah,
1: he's a, he has a doctor in something. Let me make sure okay. what, that, what that is real quick, but you
0: go ahead. Yeah, so Steel... Weird choice for a superhero film, I think. They. I may be wrong here, but I do believe Steel was first introduced in. I don't know, around 1992, 1993, during the Death of Superman story, which was a big deal at the time in comic books when Superman died. And there was about four. Four characters who came to replace him, I think. I think there was, there was Superboy like an edgier version of Superboy, one called The Eradicator. There was one I don't remember, and John Henry Irons is Steel, who I don't know if he was a supporting character in Superman comics before that point. He definitely was after that point. No, I don't think so. But Steel was probably the most heroic of those new Supermen in the 90s, and. Which is weird, once again, they made a steel film without Superman in it, even though, like I said, he was a supporting character of Superman, so that's strange, just immediately. Well, Well, here's
1: the thing, it's also the 90s, and is the resurgence of 97, so this was around the time when Shaq first got into the NBA, uh, or, or... this is where he started to get more popular. I don't know if this is when he was on the Lakers. I can't remember. uh So this is when he got. It must have been when he was on the Lakers because he's filming a movie. So this is when his popularity is like is up is getting up there. So okay, what's a superhero movie that he could do? That's kind of like that might people will go to see this just because of Shaq, not because of Steel. True. Um, and this is when he was like making like there's. Shazam. He did that or whatever it was called and or mm. Kazam. Well, that's what it was called. So he has a doctorate in education. Okay. So I guess he's a some sort of teacher. Doctoral degree in education.
0: So in terms of the overall superhero genre, I think Steele is interesting because out of most of the ones on this list, he's a lesser known character for sure. I don't know mm. how popular the Punisher was in nineteen eighty nine. I know Swamp Thing was relatively popular in some circles in the 70s and 80s but uh steel was i don't think he's that he was ever that popular so no that surprises me that this might be like even howard the duck was relatively popular in the 80s i think no yeah but because the comic book series was getting some traction but steel very interesting so this might be one of the precursors of movies that adapted lesser-known superhero characters. We're starting to get to a point already where Mm -hmm. we're adapting lesser-known people, which, okay, DC, that's not the movie I would have chosen to do. (laughs) You haven't even... You got to a Steel movie before you got to a Flash and Green Lantern movie? Okay. Or
1: Booster Gold.
0: Booster Gold. I freaking love Booster Gold.
1: He gets manhandled in Deaf and
0: Superman. I'm going to have a whole episode where I talk about Booster Gold. Because I love Booster Gold. You're not going to make me sit here and listen about Booster Gold. (laughs) I wrote a whole song about him, which I will release eventually. Oh, God. Underrated hero. Okay. Booster Gold. So now I have in my notes here, this is the era where consistency begins with these movies. Where they actually kind of get decently good decently good decently so Ryan and I so Ryan and I decided that we're already coming up on our hour and we don't want to push too much longer we want to start capping these things at an hour so we're going to mm-hmm. we're going to cap it off after talking about Blade and the original X-Men 2000 and we're going to do a part 2 Pre-MCU for... Surprise! The, the second part! Yeah. And part three will be post-MCU. 2008 on. So, let's get into Blade. Okay. Unfortunately, never seen this one. I haven't seen
1: this one either. I hear good things about it. I hear great things. excellent. Yeah.
0: Now, I do know its cultural impact, though, in that Blade, once again, we're getting into that place where we're adapting lesser-known characters, this vampire slayer, which mm-hmm. played by Wesley Snipes. Which, okay, that sounds pretty cool just for a movie on the surface. Like, forget being a comic book movie. This just sounds like a cool premise on the surface. Which I think is... We're starting to... Back to Superman 1978 where, you know, the movie got made because it's... Superman is the brand recognition. But it's just... That was a cool story to adapt in the first place. Blade is... Okay, people are starting to see comic book properties as just... Cool stories they could adapt. Forget, forget people who know them. You don't need brand recognition. Just make a good movie, and people will come. Right. That's what they were learning with Blade.
1: And they did make a pretty decent movie. I mean, the budget for it was like only forty-five million dollars, and worldwide it made one hundred thirty-one mil. So.
0: It did, who cares it was a Marvel comic? Wesley Snipes is killing vampires. That's all you need to know. Yeah,
1: and this is like Wesley Snipes is like, again, it's the 90s. It's Wesley Snipes. So people are going to go see it.
0: I'm disappointed they're not bringing him back. I mean, I'm sure Mahershala Ali will do fine. He might do a
1: cameo. I feel. If he's going to, if he's in Multiverse Expendables. If he's in Expendables. Well, maybe that too. I don't know. Maybe it's on an Instagram ad, Marvel. Thanks for that.
0: I just feel like because they cast a new blade already, they're not going to bring in Snipes, unless it's just no. for two seconds in Multiverse of Madness. He might have
1: just like an offshoot cameo, like maybe like Mahershala Ali like walks by Wesley Snipes or something, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I just, it's just because like, okay, with the X-Men, for example, which we'll get into in a sec here, but with the X-Men, they haven't cast any new X-Men in Marvel. So if they do end up bringing back, well, we'll say Patrick Stewart's Professor X, we'll say is rumored some people think for dr strange in the multiverse of madness some people think maybe i don't know but if they brought back patrick stewart okay fine they haven't cast a professor x but it would be weird to bring back wesley snipes after they've mm. already cast mahershala ali
1: so well i'm saying like i'm saying as in like a cameo not as blade oh, But just as okay, just, just like just... a character Okay. They did okay. that in Ant Man where Ant Man crashes on like a taxi car or whatever, and the taxi driver was like the first person to play Ant Man in any live action thing, like it was a comedy skit. I'm I'm blanking on the actor's name. Interesting. But like it could even be that, like an Easter egg cameo. I'm not saying bring him back as Blade. I did not know that. I'm just saying like just as a little Easter egg. Okay, so that would be funny. I don't see him doing it,
0: but that would be funny. So for our last movie we're going to cover today, X-Men 2000, the one that, well, one of the first childhood movies I grew up with, and Ryan too, as he was saying, this is the movie, look, I know a lot of people are going to say Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is the one that really kicked things off, but to me, it was the one-two punch of Blade, and specifically X-Men, because like I said, Blade could have just been any story, it didn't Mm -hmm. need to be Marvel Comics. X-Men? Is one of Marvel's most famous properties forever, and that was a huge deal they were adapting X-Men. Except, the thing about this X-Men is that Brian Singer was afraid... This was an era where, yeah, okay, they'd proven superhero movies could be adapted earnestly. Okay, mm-hmm. they'd done that. But Brian Singer, I think, was too afraid to look weird... So he, this is still had to be palatable for general audiences. X-Men could get really strange, however strange they wanted, but it still needed to be palatable in this era. So it was relatively grounded. He put them in black suits instead of their classic bright yellow. And I believe- There's the yellow lining, John. It's accented. I feel like that <laughs> wasn't even until X2. No, it wasn't. Did they even have the- <laughs> And I think Brian Singer even had a rule on set, I've heard, where he said, No comic books on set. I don't want to see anybody have X-Men comics on set. What a terrible director. <laughs> and apparently the cast and crew read X-Men comics anyway, and they kind of smuggled them in and traded them and read amongst each other. I think Hugh Jackman said it the cast have said they they smuggled them and read them anyway, but Yeah. He was trying Brian Singer was trying to make A good movie with the X Men name, which pulled from X Men lore, but he wasn't. He didn't embrace it at the time. So it was kind of an X Men holding itself back. Which, for a superhero Mm -hmm. movie at the time, it was still one of the biggest, most well budgeted, best special effects. Their Mystique stuff was crazy at the time. Which. 100%.
1: For me, this is like the first. Just from my childhood, because I like, again, there was Batman and then there was Superman. But for me, this was like the first true cinematic, uh, like, movie experience in terms of superhero, where it was taken with some seriousness. And there was still, there was still like the campiness of comic books in the movie, but there was yeah. still like, like, there were stakes with it. It was shot well, it was, you know, the effects still hold up today.
0: And there was also some nuance, too. Magneto was not a mustache-twirling villain. He's a, no. ho- he's a Holocaust survivor with a legit bone to pick, and you can sympathize with him. Maybe you don't like how he goes about his actions, but this was an action. Comic book villains used to be a lot more grand and evil, maniacal, but Magneto is actually... Mm-hmm. In a different world, you could maybe root for this guy. If you were a little. And Ian
1: McCallan is just a brilliant actor. Oh, yeah. Him and him, Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman.
0: That's another thing. Getting Patrick Stewart, got like, Shakespearean veterans like Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen elevates the material to a new level. Brilliant. It's. They are so good as actors. They can make trash shine. <laughs> and gladly it was decent. But. Oh, yeah. And this is also the movie which. Hugh Jackman wasn't big enough to eclipse everybody else yet, so it was actually kind of a team movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the time. This is what started his, uh, stardom. stardom. we get comic book fans who complain, wait, well, he's too tall to be Wolverine. He's too tall to be Wolverine. He's not rugged enough. Well, maybe
1: Wolverine just hunches too much. You ever thought of that? Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, but... he's supposed to be, like, ridiculously short in the... Yeah. In the comics. But that
0: doesn't, that doesn't
1: translate well to screen.
0: Okay, here's another take I was just thinking of. I think X-Men, without X-Men, you could not have the Avengers. Absolutely. X-Men proved superhero team-up stories were what? financially viable and mm-hmm. could be done well, critically, too. And obviously, that wouldn't be tested for another 12 years. But without X-Men, you do not get the <laughs> Avengers.
1: It's true, yeah. No, 100%. You you always run into the problem where okay, and there's even some movies now where they try to do multiple characters and like team up movies, but this is kind of the first one where it's like you can have multiple characters that have not equal amount of screen time, but have you know they're equal equals. amount of yeah. They're, there's no they're protagonist and, per se, but yeah, and there's you're interested in everybody's story, and they do their best with it in the span of, what, just under two hours? Yeah. It's a great story.
0: Yeah, it's really well done. And I think we'll wrap it up there for our pre-MCU discussion, and like I said, we'll get into part two another time. So, just in summary here, superhero movies started off as child-friendly entertainment, moralizing, grandstanding, maybe even a joke in the early 50s and 60s, Started getting there were some lull periods in the late fifties where superheroes were people were anti superhero because they were seen as too violent. So they brightened them up, and you know they made them more child friendly. And then we get into the seventies and eighties where people took that a little too far. It was a little too (laughs) child friendly, but there was some kernels of good things in there, like Superman seventy eight and Superman nineteen eighty where. You could adapt these things to be light and good. It didn't just have to be child-friendly light. It could be light and adults could like it. But then you get the backlash to all the light stuff in the 80s, in the late 80s and early 90s with gritty films like The Punisher and Spawn and Batman and Batman Returns. But then it got so dark there was a backlash to the backlash and they got Stupidly light again. But then they started getting a little more creative in the late 90s with things like Blade and X Men doing team up stories, adapting lesser known characters like Blade and Steel, and getting a little more experimental. And superhero movies were seen as financially viable now. They found a formula that started working for them more character driven things. Make them like movies. Don't make them. Don't make child's entertainment. Make good movies and people will come, is what they learned after all these decades. So that puts us on the precipice of the 2000s where they refined that further, started making more all-time greats, got way more consistent. And we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. you have anything more to say, Ryan, before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, it's just, it just goes to show over the years where, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and even some of the 80s, or early eighties, it's just these comic books weren't taken seriously. And then you have these filmmakers who grew up on these comic books, they're like, no, this is how this should be done. And there was some backlash to that because, you know, around the especially around Batman Returns, it's like it's the nineties, so the I think the rating system was really hard on movies at the time and it being, it being too dark for, for children. Because it's a comic book, right? I didn't know it was supposed to be this dark. You know, you always hear that. Or it's like, you always hear the thing about, like, Family Guy. Where it's like, oh, it's a cartoon. I didn't know, you know? So, it's very flip-floppy before the 2000s. Because it's really trying to find its ground of where comic books, comic book movies, are supposed to be. Are they supposed to be campy? Are they supposed to be taken seriously? Are they somewhere right in the middle? And we're still trying to figure it out, to be honest. (laughs) And some movies aren't doing that great. Like Morbius. What was that trying to be? I don't even know. Haven't seen it. Don't want to see it. Me neither. But that's about it for me.
0: Okay, so plug our socials then. Let's wrap it up.
1: Okay, well, you can find me, Ryan Walker Official, on Instagram
0: and TikTok. You can find me on Instagram at Thoughtplane Media and our Facebook page of the same name, and find further film discussion and entertainment reviews on thoughtplane.ca forward slash articles. And if you'd be so kind, you can support Thoughtplane Media on Patreon, linked down below. Also, be sure to leave us comments and reviews, as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you on the next close up with Ryan and Joe. Till next time. Bye.